Blog Talk Radio. Well, that tells us it's time. So let's grab us a songbook. Let's stand together and let's turn to 485. Let's all rise. You know what? I, I ha- I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a little something about that before we start. I had uh, Reverend Connors Mays from New Salem Missionary Baptist Church over to preach one night a revival meeting I had. And he had his congregation come in. They all sit up here on the front. And uh, whenever he got up, to, when he stood up to come to the platform, they all stood up. And after it was over with, I talked to the brother who was sitting here on the front row. His name was Brother Gunn. I said, Brother Gunn, I said, uh, so I noticed y'all all stood up when Brother Mays stood up. He said, you stand up when a judge stands up, don't you? I said, he said, he's more important than a judge. I said, well, you got a point there, brother. Amen. <laughs> like, what do you think? Amen. 485. Amen. Good to see y'all. 485. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me. From heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I have a loving Savior up in glory land. I don't expect to stop until I with him stand. He's waiting now for me in heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just up in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Amen. Praise the Lord. Every day passes, I feel less and less at home down here. 
Amen. Every day passes, I feel more homesick and ready to go to heaven. Amen. I hope you are too. Amen. Ain't nothing down here that's going to get no better, I'm afraid. But uh, heavens get sweeter all the time. And uh, I got more and more people up there waiting on me all the time. Amen. Good to be in church with you tonight. Amen. We got any prayer requests? Anything we need to mention to the Lord in prayer? Yes, Miss Charlotte. All right. Pam White, remember her in prayer? Uh, she's going through some issues there with her son. Pray for her. Got wisdom and just God's leadership. Um, yes. Okay. All right. Your dad and mom? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I've got a few I need to mention real quick before I forget them. Uh, first of all, my son, AC, he's got he's had on and off recurring diverticulitis or diverticulosis, one of the two. I can't remember which. But anyway, he's having problems with it, having a round of it. He, he was off work. He went back today. But anyway, just pray for him. He'll get to feeling better. Um, my friend Carl Cullum and his wife Tina in Paris, keep, keep them in your prayers. Uh, and also um, a young man by the name of Jared Jackson. Uh, I, pastored, I pastored him and his mama years ago in Paris. And uh, the good Christian folks, and she uh, she had taken him to the hospital yesterday. She'd asked about whether Texoma or, or or Plano or wherever to send was the best place to take her son. But anyway, he's 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 in his early twenties, I think, but he uh, he's having problems with his esophagus that he can't get food to go down all the way. Then they've stretched it twice, but it doesn't seem to fix it. And so he's been a month, almost a month without any food. He told her the other day, he said, Mom, I'm not faking. I really feel like I'm slowly dying here. And so, and they put him off his appointment off to October the 16th, said first time they could see him. So it's almost a month from now before he's going to get to eat anything. So bless his heart. I mean, you know, he's going to have to get some, they're having to give him IVs just to keep him, keep his, uh, you know, his fluids up. So pray for Jared Jackson. He's a really good Christian young man, and he needs our prayers. Um Remember Scott in prayer. Uh, anybody else besides, besides Dan? I know we need to lift Dan up in prayer and Anya too, and y'all remember them in prayer. Um, uh, I don't know. I hadn't talked to anybody. Okay. Was it or Monday? Oh, yeah? She's getting in the pool where I found where the shorts on her. Huh? You need any prayer? Are you feeling all right? No, she didn't hurt me. All right, we'll lift you up in prayer. I'm going to get a shot next Wednesday in my day. Okay. All right. And you, you was complaining about... What are you complaining about? Well, I, I haven't stopped for like four or five days, and it's just my back's just fine. Okay. Pray for Bonnie's back. And then unspoken. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Unspoken. Anybody else? All right. Got another one? Anybody else? Brenda Simmons. Okay. They don't know if they got the cancer yet or not. They're still back. Yes, sir. We'll keep praying. Yes, Mary. Yes, ma'am, we sure will. All right. There's probably plenty of things that we hadn't even thought about that we need to pray about. But you know what? God knows all those things. He knows He knows what's on our heart, even if we don't ever open our mouth. So let's take all our requests to him. Let's ask God to meet with our 
request and meet with us tonight. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You may be seated.
Think about that. Amen. With the blood washed strong, everybody that's been saved by the grace of God, we're going to shout glory, hallelujah, to the King of Kings. We're going to shout, thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. We're going to glorify his name and sing praises to him. He's standing there, and we're singing praises to him for saving our soul. Amen. That's real. Hallelujah. That ought to bring joy to your heart to know that that's really going to happen someday soon. Amen. 92, number 92. There's another one, too. The morning you'll find me touring that city. Many times I have wondered about the sights of that city and all that my eyes shall behold. I will see all the wonders when I enter that city. There forever to be safe in his fold. Some morning you'll find me touring that city where the Son of God is alive. You'll find me there on the street so pretty, made of gold so pure and so bright. Jesus, the one who gave me the victory, who led me across the divide. Some morning you'll find me touring that city where with him I will ever provide. In earth we have troubles that but in heaven no one will be sad. Mom and dad will be singing. Heaven's praise will be ringing for the dearest friend I ever had. The morning you'll find me touring that city where the sun of God is alive. You'll find me there on the street so pretty, made of gold so pure and so bright. With Jesus the one who gave me the victory, who led me across the divide. Some morning you'll find me touring that city where with him I will ever abide. Amen. Turn to number 72. <coughs> My Savior, first of all.
And redeemed by his side I shall stand I shall know him I shall know him By the friend of the nails in his hand Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture When I view his blessed face And the luster of his kindly beaming eyes how my heart full of praise for the mercy, love, and grace that prepare me for a mansion in the sky. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the friend. Of the nails in his hand. Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come. And I parting at the river, I recall. To the sweet bells of Eden, they will sing my welcome home. But I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know. I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nails in his hand. Through the gates, through the city, in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I shall mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeem by His side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nails in his hand. Amen. Praise God. It's good to be in church tonight. Amen. I mean, it was good to be with y'all Sunday, but I, but I tell you, it, it's just been good to be back. Not that I didn't enjoy going, I did. I enjoyed being being down there. I always enjoyed uh, Brother Chad Long and his and his church family uh, been there four times now, so kind of gotten used to me and and uh, they they, they kind of think of me as family down there amongst them, and I I feel that way and and so it was a blessing. They're good folks, just country people who live out in the middle of nowhere and got cows. Most of them got ranches and things and and uh, <coughs> a lot of extended family and whatnot. We had a good meeting. It was a little different. Music made it a little different. If you watched the meeting, you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't watch the meeting, I urge you to try that out because that was some interesting singing going on for the preaching. But uh, but God bless them, uh, Jim and Beverly Poole. They've got a ministry and they've got a place for it. Amen. Uh, but anyway, we 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 had a uh, we had a time, and uh, Dr. Shepherd preached. He preached some really good messages. He preached one of the most gross messages I've ever heard in my entire life. He preached on the raven and the dove. 
and he talked about how the raven when Noah, this is really interesting to me, I never really thought about it, but, you know, the Bible talks about when Noah let the raven out of the window, it said he he went to and fro. He, he, he never came back to the ark. He got out, it's kind of like he got out of church, and he just, every now and then he'd come by and say, hey, how y'all doing? But he never came back, okay? But, but the, uh, but eventually he didn't come back at all. He talked about him. He said, you know, he, he, he found a place to lie. He'd go over and land on a dead cow. Say, man, I ain't eat no cow liver in a while. And he, boy, he's <laughs> sucking up that cow liver. He said, man, I ain't had no human brain in a while. He's taking his beak in the ear of human, suck that human brain out. He's getting my eyeball. He's just talking about green goo and all this stuff. Oh, it's just wonderful preaching. I never heard nothing like it in my life. We talked about that dove. When he let the dove out, he found no place to set her foot. She wasn't going to get unclean with the garbage that was down there. Matter of fact, when she did come back, what she have in her mouth? Anybody know? Because that meant she was ready to build. She was ready for her future. She wasn't interested in things that were rotten and, and dead and of no count. She was looking forward to building something for God. Anyway, that's a real good message. So praise God. I appreciate Dr. Shepherd and really enjoyed his preaching. Anyway, let's get into the message tonight. Take your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs, the 19th chapter. We're going to find ourselves in verse 8, where we'll pick up where we left off last time. We read verses 1 through 7, Proverbs chapter 19, last time. So we're going to look right there and, and read verses. Well, we won't read it, but we'll we'll pray, and then we'll get into verses 8. Through 14 tonight in chapter 19 of Proverbs. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to meet with us tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, because you are a good and a, and a loving Heavenly Father. And Lord, you're you're slow to wrath. Lord, you're 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 rich in mercy. Lord, you're long suffering toward us. So I pray tonight as we come to the Wisdom Book of Proverbs again, Spirit of God, please use me in spite of my frailties of my human flesh. Fill me tonight with your spirit. Use me tonight to expound upon the word of God, to bring these thoughts, these truths out in the open where we can look at them. In the spirit of God, we ask you to stir in our hearts and awaken us to how we can take these and hide these things in our heart and how we can apply them in our lives. So, Lord, that we honor you and, Lord, that we magnify Christ and his, his nature in our lives. Lord, that we would uh, share the characteristics of our Savior amongst the people that we come in contact with, that they might not just hear us speak about being a Christian from our lips, but they'd see it come from our lives, Lord, and back it up. And, Father, we'll give you praise tonight as you guide us through the Scriptures, and we'll give you glory for it. And, Lord, hopefully we'll apply what you've taught us by your power, and we'll walk in it. We'll give you glory for it. Thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 19 and verse 8. Amen. If you'll follow there with me in your Bible, it says, He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. All right. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. So having wisdom and getting wisdom is so good to us and so helpful to us that we can and we should get wisdom just out of self-interest to, to, to just to, to have a better life. I mean, it just makes sense that if there's 
something available to you freely that will make you have a better life, a better quality of life, an easier to get along with everybody else life, a, uh, a life that, that you're more apt to be favorably blessed by your creator. It just makes sense if it helped you to get along with other people that you would seek out something that is freely given to you by God. And it would show that you have enough sense not to, not to hate yourself. Amen? So in doing so, in getting wisdom and seeking wisdom, we're showing that we do love our own self. We're, you know, we're not on a destructive path. We see people get that way. I, I, I was that way when I was a young person. I was on a destructive path. And praise God, he showed me and, and, and pulled my head up in time before I hit the wall. You know, I came close to it. I, I, I nearly destroyed my own life, and God's so gracious and merciful to me and stopped me from doing that. But, I mean, he, he gave me enough warning that I heard him, and I said, hey, I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm turning it over to you. And, and But praise God, since that time, and that was February 2nd, 1996, and, man, that's been a good long while. Since that time, I've been trying to get as much wisdom from God as I can get. Up until that time, I was looking everywhere but God. I was looking for, the, for wisdom from people and from, from uh, music and this world and everywhere but God, where I should have been looking for it from. And, uh, you know, the devil had me, devil had me fooled. He, he really did. He had, he, he's a good deceiver. And he's got many a young person deceived by the glitz and the glamour of this world and deceptive dreams and deceptive hopes of what they can be. I, I don't know how many kids I've talked to over the last 10 years who told me, I said, what are you, you going to do when you grow up? Oh, I want, I want to create video games. I'm going to be a YouTuber. It's like, do you have any sense at all? Do you have any hope for a future? Don't you understand that, that that's all just pie-in-the-sky stuff, and you ain't, there's only so many people out there can make it that way, and you ain't one of them probably, and you're just wishing your life away. You know, a person that has wisdom realize, hey, i got to invest in something that can actually take care of my family. i got to invest in something that I can actually uh, make a decent living at so that I can put food on my table and, and a roof over my children's head. I mean, you know, he that getteth wisdom, why does he do it? Because he loves his own soul. He don't want to be on the street. He don't want to be. He don't want to be living hand to mouth constantly, and and, and wondering how he's going to live. I mean, so he gets wisdom. He's, he he do something to bless himself. The Bible says he loveth his own soul. He loves himself because he he seeks great good for his own soul. And sinners are just the opposite. Sinners actually hate their own souls. They might not tell you that they do, but they do. And the reason I can tell you that I know they do is because they're constantly bringing trouble upon themselves. If you're constantly getting in trouble, it problem is probably not everybody else, though you'll probably blame it on everybody else. I mean, you you you, you could go into a courtroom, a criminal courtroom, and watch a defendant after defendant come in, and it's everybody else's fault but theirs. It's rare that you find one that'll say, yeah, I'm guilty, I did it, put me away. That happens every now and then, but them are usually demented people that are ready to be put away. But I'm telling you, most people, they'll blame everybody. They blame, blame mom and daddy. They blame the system. They'll blame the judge. They'll blame the cops. They'll arrest them. They'll blame everybody but the guy in the mirror who's really the one that's guilty. And, uh, again, they're destroying themselves. Proverbs 29, 24 says, Whoso is partner with a thief, he hateth his own soul. When he made the decision to go with the thief, he knew he was risking his own freedom. He was risking his own well-being and really risking his own life because, 
You come through my door in the middle of the night, I'm going to put holes in you. I'm not going to ask you what you're doing here. It's going to be bang, 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 and then 911, I need an ambulance because I shot this guy. I'm not going to ask questions. You know what? And anybody else has got any sense to do the very same thing. If they love their freedom, they love their family, they love, they care more about, you know, I know in some parts of the country they'll probably put me in prison for doing that. But in Texas, hey, listen, you come through my door, you, you're taking your life in your own hands. Matter of fact, you drive up my driveway, I don't know who you are. You might be taking your life in your own hands. Uh, you know, if you're not coming in peace, amen. But, uh, again, sinners bring trouble upon their own self. But the Bible says, he that keepeth understanding shall find good. Okay, you have to get it before you keep it, right? Okay. Wisdom isn't something you just get. you got to keep it. Not enough to just get it, you got to keep it. You know, we tell, we tell people all the time to memorize Scripture. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart. You know, it's not enough just to hear the preacher read a scripture off if you don't know what it says and you don't have it in your heart where you can pull it out at will and, and look at it. It's so important that we memorize scripture. I mean, if somebody says to me salvation verses, I can immediately start thinking of verses one after another that, that would, would pertain to leading somebody to salvation. So I can take those verses out any time I want to. If I'm sitting there waiting on, like yesterday, sitting there waiting on my tires to get get put on my truck, I can sit there and go through Bible verses in my head. When I'm putting a sermon together, a lot of times, you know, I mean, uh, verses pop up out of nowhere. It's like, oh, that goes with this right here. And so I put it in the message. How did that happen? It happened because I started hiding Scripture in my heart. And that doesn't actually happen just because you're called to preach. You have to work at it. You have to do it. I mean, don't just... It's not like a call to preach. All of a sudden, the Bible just goes in your brain. You've got all these scriptures and roller decks in your head. No, you've got to memorize it. And it ain't just for preachers. Every Christian ought to be accountable to learn scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart, David said. Why? That I might not sin against thee. Because when you've got it in you, the Holy Spirit has ammunition to fight back against the devil and to keep you from making foolish decisions and keep you from ruining yourself. Amen? He that keepeth understanding shall find good. And, and that's why you should put these principles that we're teaching tonight from the Bible into practice in your life. Amen? Because when we find good, we find good when we keep understanding. It's not enough just to hear it. But again, when you're taking it with you and you're applying it, just like you can buy a shovel and prop it up in the garden um, and next to where you want to put a garden in, but if you don't ever put it in the dirt, you ain't never going to do any good with it. That's just like having a Bible on your coffee table. It doesn't do you any good if you don't open it. Amen? So when you when you get it and you keep it and you and you focus on it and you think on it, amen, it ought to be a part of, it ought to be as much a part of you as, as, as sitting down to eat at a table every day or sitting down uh, getting you a drink or something every day. You need the scriptures the same way. Verse 9, a false witness shall not be unpunished. And he that speaketh lies shall perish. <clears throat> this is a repeat of Psalm 19.5, word for word, exact same verse. False witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. And you say, well, why did God put it in our twice? Well, repetition reminds us of how important the principle is, that God doesn't like a false witness. God hates a false witness. In a court of law, you know, you lie, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get punished. You get in trouble for telling a lie in a courthouse. 
But not only in, in, in not only in court of law, but in daily life, God wants us to be people of the truth. And I always tell the truth. And, and so he promised that a false witness is not going to get away with it. A false witness is going to get punished. And the second half says, he that speaketh lies shall perish. And this speaks about the certainty of God's justice towards those who lie. God, God don't deal with lies very well. Uh, Revelation 21.8 warns that liars are among those who have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I know people re- hear me talk like that and they hear what I'm reading and they go, ooh, does that mean if I told a lie I lost my salvation? No, that's not what that means. Because if you've been saved by the grace of God, are you capable of still telling a lie? Or you should you? No. If you do, will you should you will you get convicted about it? You better. If you don't, I'd say you probably ain't saved. Now listen, I mean, if God hates a lie so bad, you tell a lie, the Holy Spirit of God's bound to give you nearly a heart attack while you're trying to do it. I know when I've done wrong since I've been saved, since I've walked with God, when I've done wrong and I've begin and I and I, I'm doing something, and I know I'm doing it. Holy Spirit of God's going, what are you doing on the inside? What are you doing? Amen? The closer you get to God, the more you'll feel something like that. Because he doesn't want you to walk away. And he sure don't want you to lie. But here, listen to me. You say, well, well, well what about that? It says that the liars will find their place in the, in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Yes, folks that are not saved who are liars. I'm not a liar. If I tell a lie, I'm still not a liar. Listen, I'm, I'm under gr- the grace of God. Will God hold me accountable? In this life, he will. He won't in the life to come. But why? Because my sins have been a, are all placed on, under the blood. Amen? I, my sins are all under the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers my sin all the way from the first time I've ever sinned all the way until my last dying breath. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if I, if I start going around telling lies, God is going to bring punishment in this life, in my life. I'm going to feel God's chastisement in my life. That does not mean that I'm lost and on my way to hell. A child of God doesn't lose their salvation. But God will in, they will incur God's punishment. But let me tell you something. Somebody tries to go out, in this life, out of this life without Christ, they will incur God's wrath forever. And that's what Revelation 21.8 is warning against. But a person leaves this world lost. And this, you don't, if you don't trust Christ as your Savior, a lot of people are religious, but they're lost. And I tell you, if somebody tries, again, they go out of this world without Jesus, it's going to be hell for them. Verse 10, delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. <clears throat> delight is not seemly for a fool. The sense of this uh, of that first part of the verse is this: is, is that you know there, there's some there's some fools out there that reject wisdom of God, and and yet they they do live in luxury, but it doesn't seem right for them to, you know, it's not fitting for a fool to live in the lap, lap of luxury. Now it happens. You know what it made me think of immediately when I read that verse: gangster rap. Y'all know what gangster rap is? Y'all do, too. You just don't know it by that name. That's them rap singers. And all they rap about is about, about naked women and guns and drugs and all that garbage and, and, and that thug lifestyle and killing and shooting and all that all that, all that life. Now, let me tell you something you probably don't know. I'm going to share a little piece of information that I learned a long time ago. 
did you know that gangster that's called gangster rap, okay? Did you know it was created by a bunch of white executives? Did you know that whole style of rap music? I mean, I'm telling you something I, that I learned a while back. That whole style of rap music. Back when I was growing up, I mean, it was it was goofy, hip hop, and all that stuff. I know y'all care nothing about that, but I'm just trying to tell you, people watching that get what I'm saying. But it was it was MC Hammer, you know, Hammer Time, all that dancing and Carol. That was that was rap music when I was a kid, and then all of a sudden, about 1991, it all became about crime and violence and and drugs and all that. It shifted immediately. Well, what happened was uh, there's a guy who he wrote an article. He wrote a he told the whole story of what happened. He was invited to this to this meeting out in in Los Angeles, California, in the hills of L.A. outside of L.A. and they were. Uh, and they had to sign a non-disclosure agreement when they got there. It was a business venture. Well, they got in there, and it was a whole bunch of people from the music industry were there, and then there was a group of other people that they didn't know, and they were kind of off to their self, and the music industry people were kind of to their self. And so they got in the meeting, and they said, fellas, said, we're, we, we, we're, uh, we're going to build some privately owned prisons. Okay? We're businessmen. We're going to build some privately owned prisons, and we want to fill them up. So what we need you to do is create a genre of music to facilitate that lifestyle. And that's what they did. They created that kind of music. They, they, they encouraged that type of music. They generated that type of music in order to make ghetto people uh, in, in all of all colors want to follow that lifestyle. So that there'd be more arrests, there'd be more people put into these privately owned prisons. Why? Because it makes them lots of money. And what, is, what do you have? In, in what, why am I telling you that? Because delight is not seemly for a fool. But yet it's, it's foolish people who will listen to that kind of music and go, I'm going to be like that. And so what happens? I'm going to live in luxury and I'm going to steal and rob and, and drug my way and sell dope and, 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 and be a pimp or whatever i got to do to get that lifestyle. And so what do you have? You have a bunch of people who are chasing after money, 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 money and power, money and power. What do they end up? They end up in prison. Amen? Delight is not seemly for a fool. Amen? It's sick that that's what people did, but that's exactly how that came to be. Uh, And then the second half of that verse says this. It says says it's not much less for a servant to have rule over princes. So it's just like delight or, 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 or a fool in the lap of luxury doesn't seem right. It's also it's not right for a servant to have rule over princes. Solomon is, is speaking here about the wisdom of the natural man, which he puts, you know, he looks at somebody like King Charles over there and says, oh, he's so much greater than everybody else. He sees nobility and, and, and family lineage as some big deal. And we know, we all know that's just a bunch of fluff and hooey. And this is one of these proverbs. It's interesting. The gospel turns this proverb on its head because it says, it says, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. And I'll tell you why I say that, because Jesus said in Matthew 20, 25, and 26, but Jesus called unto them and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise great authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you, for whenever... But whenever, uh, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. So he's saying, look, what do we we know? He that's first shall be last, and last shall be first, right? So the gospel flips it on its head spiritually. 
He that is greatest among you shall be your servant, Matthew 23, 11. But we're not speaking in terms of spiritual things here. We're speaking in terms of the natural. saying is this. He says, he said, it's not right for a servant to have rule over princes. And what's he talking about a servant? He's talking about a slave, basically. You take somebody who's, who's been raised up in servitude, somebody who's been raised up as a slave, they, they haven't been trained to lead. They have no idea how to lead. They've been raised up, being beat down their whole life. And, and, and you know what? They, they've never been trained how to do anything. So, again, they, you, you make them a leader all of a sudden, they have no idea what they're doing. So that, that's going to cause problems right off the bat. And secondly, guess what? He's going to get in this position and go, hey, I've been beat down my whole life. Now I can control everything. He's going to get drunk on power. And he's going to get drunk on his ability to rule. Suddenly he is, the boot is off of him, and suddenly he's wearing the boots. He's like, fine. I'll show you how. You want to oppress people? I'll show you oppression. And his government will, will turn into an unbearable tyranny. And that's what God's warning against. And what are the consequences for a community in that situation? Well, first of all, they'll be incompetent. They won't know how to run anything because they weren't trained how to run anything. So you have absolute incompetence everywhere. Take a look at Detroit, Michigan. Take a look at some of those cities up north like that where you've got had Democrats in power for the last 50 years, and you'll see exactly what I'm describing tonight. Incompetence, which leads to what? Mismanagement. That's why Flint, Michigan's got drinking water with nobody drink, because <coughs> it's mismanagement. Am I right, Brother, Brother Dan? I'm, I'm, uh, Gary, Indiana, what a great place to live. That's one of the worst places in the world. Why? Because Democrats have run it into the ground. Uh I'm not up here just beat on Democrats tonight. I'm just saying anybody who's who who is foolish, who doesn't know what they're doing, who gets into office and has no idea how they got there and what they're going to do when they get there, and and so so you have incompetence, which leads to mis- mismanagement, which leads to abuse of power when people don't know what they're doing and yet they're trying to do something anyway, doing it for the sake of doing it. You you have an abuse of power, which leads to corruption, which leads to injustice which leads to absolute social chaos. Do you know on that scale we're right about in between injustice and social chaos in America because of these corrupt politicians who are running the show? Ecclesiastes 10, 5 through 7, Solomon said, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity. In other words, foolishness is looked at as a great thing. And the rich set in a low place. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. So again, he's describing this. When somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, who doesn't know how to lead, is put in power, it's chaos. And again, that, that's, that's, that tends to look like what we have today. Verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Uh, you know, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. What does that mean? It, it means that it, it isn't necessarily weakness or lack of courage that makes a man slow to anger. Not that he's weak, no. It may be wisdom that, that's described here as discretion. You know, uh, uh, this is an attribute of God 
to know when to not blow your top, to know when to just remain calm. You know, I, I, I look I look back at, at great men in my past, and things didn't rattle them. I mean, it could look like all hell was breaking loose and the world was fixing to come unwound, and they were just as calm as could be. Nothing rattled them. Bible said it's his glory to pass over a transgression. The wise man or woman, you know, again, it's it's his glory. The glory of a man, it's good for him. It's it's a blessing for him to not to not attack somebody over some wrong that's been done for him. If you can if you can refrain from unloading on somebody who's done you an injustice. You show character on your part, and you magnify their lack of character. And that's what God's saying in this verse here. He's saying, listen, you and I have been forgiven much, haven't we? We've been forgiven of a lot. Amen? And you know what? That ought to shape how we deal with other people. We've been forgiven for a whole lot. You know, again, a person who who this is describing here, they don't act like they got to hold everybody accountable for everything wrong thing that they've ever done, and, 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 you know, they know how to overlook something. It's not our job to, to, to make sure everybody's punished for every little wrongdoing they ever do. But I know people who are like that. I, I mean, there's a, there's a term for it. For women, they call them Karens. Y'all have heard that, I'm sure. I feel bad for any woman named Karen because um, she's made out to be somebody who nitpicks somebody to death. But... Praise God, my name's Brandon, and I, I had to live through the whole let's go Brandon thing, so hallelujah. But anyway, um, God doesn't, again, God doesn't mean for us to be his policemen and police women. He has the Holy Spirit of God to convict. He doesn't need us to do it for him. So it's our glory to, to not do that, to be able to let things go and to not, again, not, not make a big deal out of something. You know, it's it's more than it's a, it's about more than having a forgiving temperament. We ought to have a forgiving temperament. We ought to be able to let things go. We ought not hold grudges. That's not Christ-like at all. To seek revenge for something injustice somebody did to us is not Christ-like at all. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. What we're talking about here is the ability to shrug off an insult. Maybe somebody don't like you. Well, whoop de do. There's lots of people don't like me. You know what? I've been called. I wish I could. I wish I could think of some of the real good ones that I've been called. But I have been called some pretty nasty names over the years. And the reason I have been is because I don't change. I refuse to change. I refuse to step off of the Word of God and, and submit to somebody's ideas. I refuse to back up when it comes to what I believe in the Word of God. I refuse to, to become a modern man. I refuse to act like this world expects me to act. I want to be what God wants me to be, and I don't really care what anybody else thinks about it. Amen. And you shouldn't either, except for God, because he's the one that made you, and he's the one you're going to answer to. But I can tell you this. When it comes to, the, to dealing with other people, while we may not care what they have to say and we may be able to shrug off these things, we need to be careful that we don't become, we don't, because this world wants you to become hypersensitive. Think about what I'm trying to say. 
This world wants you to get to where you're touchy by everything. It's trying. I mean, the devil the devil is a great divider. What you find out most of the time when you sit down and talk to somebody is you have more in common with them than you have apart. Most anybody. You say, if you talk to them long enough, you're going to find out. And I know there's some idiots out there. I know there's some people out there that ain't got enough sense to come in out of the rain. I understand that. But most people. When you talk to them, you can find some common ground and find out something that you can talk positively about if you try. But we have become a society of people that are so hypersensitive that every little thing irritates us about somebody else. Well, they're not just like me, so they're wrong. Listen, I'm not talking doctrine tonight. It ain't got nothing to do with doctrine. I'm not talking about doctrine at all. I'm talking about just I don't like this about that person, and I don't like this, and they don't do this like I do, so I don't like them. We're so hyper about things, that, that we, we, we make up our mind about people before we even get to know them. How can we be Christ-like and, and be compassionate and love people and, and care about whether or not they're going to hell if we, we're too hung up on superficial things about people? And maybe, yeah, maybe maybe they got a bad attitude, but you never realize that maybe that bad attitude stems from the fact that they don't have Jesus? Maybe that maybe that rotten disposition stems from the fact that maybe, maybe they were in some some other kind of denomination somewhere, and they just got, they got beat up by some legalistic preacher who made them feel like dirt and, and never taught them grace. There's so many reasons why somebody might not be just how we think they ought to be, and we need to have enough compassion about us to be able to let all that superficial junk roll off and see a person who's crying out for help. Because oftentimes that's what happens. Oftentimes that's what happens. And, you know, let me just say this. The manlier a man is, the more calm that man will be. And the more readier he'll be to let stuff go. I think about I think about both my papas. Man, they were both steady as a rock. Steady as a rock. You know what? Nothing rattled them, ever. I never, ever saw my grandpa's either one ever, ever scared, ever angry, ever rattled. They were just all the time, just steady as they could be. You know, I think they knew some things about the Lord that made them that way. I don't think it had to do with just the kind of men they were. I think it's who they knew. And again, and, and this this shows the presence of God in a person. God who's long-suffering. So when you have when you bear the characteristics of God, you're going to bear that because he's long-suffering. So you'll put up with things a lot longer than somebody with a hot, quick temper who's ready to just take somebody's head off. Uh, listen, you'll you'll put up with their with their evil manners longer than somebody else would. Why? Because God God was long suffering with us when we were acting stupid and being evil and doing things we shouldn't have been doing. Listen, and God forgives our trespasses, so we ought to forgive others' trespasses. And listen, God pleads with us to be reconciled with Him, so we ought to plead with somebody else to be reconciled to God. I got to hurry if I'm gonna get done on time. Verse, verse twelve. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. So his wrath, the king's wrath, is as the roaring of a lion. Now, the roar of a lion is pretty terrifying. I don't know if you've ever heard one close up, but I've heard one in a zoo pretty close up, and I don't think I'd want to be on the other side of that glass, right? Uh, <clears throat> you know, and even even if there ain't no destruction coming right after, it's still pretty scary, you know? I was at again. I was mentioning the tire shop. I was at I was at Discount Wheel and Tire yesterday, and I was sitting there waiting to get two tires put on my truck. 
and uh, they got a big big screen TV there in the waiting room, and they had this nature show on, and it was these water buffalo, and they were going down to the drinking hole. Well, there was a it was also a pride of lions that came down to the drinking hole. And, and you know, I, I learned some Bible. I, I didn't learn some Bible lessons. I, I saw some Bible lessons play out on TV while I'm watching it. First of all, you know, that the, the devil's like a roaring lion. What's seeking whom he may devour? Them lions weren't coming down there for a drink. They were coming down there looking for food. And the attack is always on the loner. There was one water buffalo out of the herd that stood over by itself. And you could tell he was old. You could tell he was weak. And he kind of stood over by himself, and the others were off, off to themselves. And here in a minute, here come here come three lines, and they're they're circling, and they're trying to they're trying to to get him where he's distracted. And sure enough, one of them jumps up on his back, and the one jumped on his back and latched onto his spine with his teeth, and the other jumped over him, jumped over on his shoulders, and the other one's trying to get the front. And, and eventually, what happened was the one in the front. I mean, it, it put its mouth completely over that water buffalo's nose, and it suffocated him to death. And then they ate his face off. <laughs> I thought, man, what a thing to have to sit and watch while you're getting your tires put on. But but I was watching that thinking, I wonder how many other people are thinking the same thing I am. They're sitting there watching this. There's a whole bunch of people who was all mesmerized by it, you know. But I also learned some things. Because you know what would happen? When that when that water buffalo finally would get enough pain, he'd start fighting back. And you know what happened when he'd fight back? Them lines, would sh- they would shed off of him and get away from him. <laughs> And that, that's, again, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I learned something else. Because in the middle of that battle, when he's trying to fight off three of them, here come all the other water buffaloes down to the water, and they start getting down in there slinging lines. And guess what? They strengthen numbers. That tells me we need to be praying one for another and lifting up one for one another and, and, and battling in prayer for one another. Because the devil, hey, listen, he, the devil wants to get us. I know I don't veered off from the king's wrath, but you need to realize the devil's out to get you. And, I, and the one main thing I got is sitting there looking at that water buffalo with his nose eating off is, if you give up, he will devour you. He'll destroy your life. But the same's true for the wrath of the king or any other powerful person. If you get on the bad side, I mean, it can be... <laughs> I know there's people who tried to stand up to the evil and corruption and the Clintons. There's a long list of dead folks. And there's a lot of people who's standing up today trying to bring out things about the Biden administration, and they're being silenced one after another. And so when you get somebody in government, they get opposed to you, it, it ain't going to be good. Amen? So it's best to have a little bit of, little bit of uh, sneakiness if you're going to do such as that. It's best to go about that in the right way, be harmless as us. Uh, Wise as serpents and harmless as doves, as the Bible says. But uh, but again, as much as it's true about the devil being uh, that way with his wrath, you know what is much truer regarding the wrath of God and the wrath of the lion of the tribe of Judah? You don't want to be in front of that wrath, that's for sure. And I say that to anybody that's not saved tonight that may be listening to me. <clears throat> because I can tell you right now, he's got, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that, 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 the devil ain't going to roar against him. He's going to kneel, and he's going to cow down. Revelation 5, 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, and behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals. He's going to come out victorious in the end. The devil's going to lose. The Bible says in the second half of that verse, the Bible says, But his favor is as the dew upon the grass. That's referring to the king. Or uh, I know we don't have a king, but 
what it means is the king's favor is refreshing. When the king, when the king's blessing you and and wanting to do good for you, I think about uh, when Nehemiah went went down and rebuilt the wall, and the king of Persia was behind him and gave him everything he needed. What a blessing that was, and had his favor in his back. I mean, and he knew he couldn't fail because he had the king behind him. It's life giving. But something we need to remember about that kind of favor, just like the dew, it's fleeting. It's only there for a little while, and it's gone. And so, uh, you know, the favor of God, it's its refreshing to us to have God's favor in our life. And it's also life-giving. But, you know, opposite of the favor of a king being like the dew on the grass, God's favor isn't fleeting. If you've got God's favor in your life, it, it's not like the dew. And, and, you know, God's not like an impossible-to-please tyrant that you're all constantly having to, to do something new and having to do tricks for him to make him happy with you. No, God's not like that. He lo- if he loves you, he loves you. And, again, it, it, it advises the servants of the Lord to be mindful of staying in the Lord's favor and maintaining a good relationship. Amen. We need to be walking in his light. Amen. We need to uh, We need to be... Be wary of those uh, that would hurt us as well, and be wary of the devil so we don't fall into his attacks. Verse 13, a foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. This is a fun one. A foolish son is the calamity of his father. It's grievous to any parent to raise up a child that turns out to be a fool. Heartbreaking. When you've raised them and you've taught them right, and yet they choose to do wrong. They choose the wrong path. And again, I did that. I did that to her. And I regret that. And then I've had children of mine do that to me. And I know how painful that is. I've lived through it. You know, again, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, what you sow, you're going to reap. The Bible tells us that. And, uh, you know, and when, a, when, a par- when a parent has a child that's, that's become a fool and, and getting themselves in constant trouble, you know, it's grief, but it may turn from grief to ruin. It may kill you. It may destroy your life to have a child that's gone wayward. And the grief will destroy you. It'll destroy your health because you'll grieve yourself to death over your child. It can destroy your life. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy uh, your career. It can destroy everything in your life trying to deal with a wayward child. If you love that child and you won't give up on them. And, you know, again, a father sometimes and a lot of times will absolutely ruin himself trying to rescue his foolish child. Pay everything he's got, ruin himself financially, ruin his health, ruin everything, chasing after a fool. Again, a fool, foolish son's a calamity of his father. In the second half of that verse, the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. And before I say anything, I didn't write this. Amen? I'm just a paper boy. I ain't the editor, but I'm going to preach it. Amen? So here's what i got to say on it. And listen, it's, it's sympathy. You know, again, first of all, it's sympathy for a man's problems as a father, and now it's looking at sympathy for a man's potential problems as a husband. The wife who often contends, the contentions, the contending, how does she do that? By fighting with her husband, arguing with her husband, nagging and nitpicking her husband. The Bible says it is like a continual dripping or dropping 
in at least three different ways. Okay? Number one, it all it's an always present annoyance and trouble. Like, oh, I gotta go home and listen to that. Ah. Now, that, I think that's probably the reason some men go to a bar. You know, to try to stay and it shouldn't be that way. I'm not saying I'm not excusing that. I ain't saying that's right, but I'm saying that's probably the reason some men end up in a bar room because they got to go home to something awful they don't want to go home to. That doesn't excuse it. It ain't right. I'm just telling you, I'm sure that's one of the reasons that they use. But, again, to know you're going to go home and, you, and you've been chewed on by your boss all day long and now i got to go home and be chewed on by my wife, that's not a good thing. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't build up. What does it do? It wastes. It destroys. It erodes good things, valuable things. And I'm going to tell you what else. It points at underlying problems. Let me let me give a good piece of advice to any wife listening to me. And I I, I realize I'm not talking to y'all. I'm not fussing at y'all. But there, there's a lot there's a lot of people watching. This. The best piece of advice I could give to a wife, and and I know. Some women sitting there saying, well, you don't know my husband. And no, I don't. And he may be sorry as can be. He may be a louse. He may not want to ever do anything. He may be lazy. He may have a terrible mouth on him. He may be a horrible uh, ogre to live with. But I can give you a great piece of advice. You will never change him by doing or saying anything. Amen. And if you try, you are only going to make it worse. Can I tell you what to do? I have the advice for you that will fix it. I have the fix for the problem. Here's the fix for the problem. You take him and lay him on God's altar and say, God, fix me. I'm done trying. And God says, thank you. You needed to get out of the way anyway. And that's why your life's been so hard, because I've been having to whoop you to get you out of the way. And if you get out of the way, your life will ease up, because I'll quit disciplining you for being in my in the way of me dealing with you. Y'all seen the whole umbrella? The, the, the father is the umbrella, the wife's underneath her umbrella, then the children underneath that? Well, okay. Again, when the wife tries to tell the husband, nags the husband, and constantly beating the husband over the head, He's got up above the husband and between God and the man. And so God has to deal with her because she's out of line. She's out of place. And I know women say, well, if I don't do that, ain't nothing going to change. If you do that, ain't nothing going to change. And you can keep on beating your head against the wall and expect something different until you die if you want to, but it ain't going to cause you nothing but a headache. Amen. It's the truth. God made it that way. God set it up that I didn't do it. Don't get mad at me. I didn't do it. <clears throat> Adam Clark said, the man who has got such a wife is like a tenant who has got a cottage with a bad roof through every part of which the rain either drops or pours. He can neither st- sit, stand, work, nor sleep without being exposed to these droppings. God help the man who is in such a case with a house or a wife. And then uh, there's another fellow wrote, he said, Like as a man that has been treated roughly in the world thinks to mend himself at home, but is no sooner sat down there 
but the rain dropping through the roof upon his head drives him out of doors again. Such is the case of him that hath a contentious wife, a far greater cross than that of an ungracious that of ungracious children, which yet are the father's calamities and heartbreaks. So to have a, a wife that constantly on him is worse than having a son that's grievous to him, according to the Lord. Again, it, it, it's constant. And and then I'm gonna share with you a little Arab proverb. It says it says three things make a house intolerable. There's three Arab words, tack, knack, and back. Okay, what do they mean? Tack, the leaking through of the rain, knack, a wife's nagging, and back, bugs. Those three things make life intolerable, it says. Plus, at women, they say, women, y'all all the problem. No, men are, men got, men are problems, too. But, but again, I'm only giving you a solution to fix the problem, and, and so both of you can be happy. You put him on God's throne, and you know what? You put him there with all the heat you need to put him there with. You say, how do I do that? You keep praying. You go to God every five minutes about it if you want to. You can go to God constantly about it if you want to. You you can get out. Hey, you 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 can go get in the shower and holler at God. God, do it now. I need you to fix him. But don't do it to him. Amen. Let and and guess what? When God does it, then what can you do? You step back and go praise you, Lord. Thank you so much. Glory, I give you glory for fixing my marriage. God can do. That. But you can't. And if you keep trying, you're only going to make it worse. Verse 14, we're almost done. Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. Riches in a house and riches are the inheritance of fathers. Well, I mean, it's easy to understand. They, they, there's good things that a man can get as an inheritance. And... and some of those things are material things, like houses and riches. You know, and, and if you inherit a house, you inherit riches, you're blessed in some regard, but it's better to inherit a, a good Christian testimony from a, from a dad than to inherit all the money in the world. To inherit a good raising from a dad who loved you and taught you right is a whole lot better to, to have a good example. But it goes on to say a prudent wife is from the Lord. And we're going to wrap it up on this one, but... A gift beyond the inheritance that you can receive from your father. One that's much better from anything you can receive from your father is this gift that God gives, which is a prudent wife. And that word prudent is not one that we throw around a lot these days, so it kind of bears talking about it, but it means a wife that has wisdom. She's wise. She knows God. She, she's, she's sought to know the Lord. She's, she's gaining wisdom daily in her walk with God. That's, that's, that's the kind of wife we're talking about. One who, who has self-control. One who's able to refrain from, from, from being the kind of person we were just describing. One who's able to, to, to not fly off the handle when, when her feelings begin to bother her. And I realize, ladies, that it is. Your feelings well up inside you, and they need to come out. And sometimes it comes out through your emotions, and it comes out in anger. It comes out in frustration. But it, but having self-control, again, it's like the man who's able to be insulted and not, not lash out. Again, it's part, of, it's part of growing in the Lord and learning how to have the right temperament. Uh, again, a wife who has that uh, and, and, and sees living right, and having having a good life that honors God is a greater gift than having a great big fancy house and all the money in the world. 
when when you find somebody like that, God bless you. And uh, and a man who finds a wife like that ought to give thanks to God because he he didn't find her on his own. He didn't. He wasn't that, he wasn't that good of a, a chooser. He prayed for one, and God gave her to him. And again, I know I emphasize that that phrase from the Lord. Somebody said nature makes a woman, selection makes her a wife, but to be prudent, wise, and virtuous is from the Lord. You don't just get that. God has to give that to you. A good wife, one of the first real and royal gifts bestowed on Adam. Here he was in the garden. He looked around. He said, everything else got a mate. Where's mine? I need a helper. And the Lord made a help meet for him. She was faithful. I say she was faithful. I'm saying the help meet. I know Eve sinned. I'm not going into that. But, you know, once they got beyond that, she was a faithful, loyal, loving helper. That's what God designed help meet to be. And it doesn't just, this verse doesn't just answer questions about unhappy marriage and bad wives. Instead, it, it attests to the fact that when a marriage turns out well, you'd be wise to give God the credit because you ain't going to have one unless he's involved. Amen? Let's stand together. Praise God. Been good to be in church with you tonight. Amen? Go to the Lord. Let's ask God to bless us as we go.